Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I believe it's six seconds. Yeah, it does that thing. Good, good evening and welcome to Sugar and Silk. Brought to you exclusively by Ace Podcast Nation. My name is Ben Doughty and the guy just talking, just slightly not on cue there, was... Michael Silk Olajide, scratching his head at the same time. <laughs> we are joined by... Monty Barrett, Monty Two Guns Barrett. Two guns. What's going on, baby? I was hoping he wasn't going to admit the nickname because you have to have a nickname. You have to have a nickname. It, it wouldn't have sounded right if it just said he was playing on Monty Barrow. Yeah, I yeah, know, yeah. right. Yeah. You know Monty. what? To be honest with you, I got the nickname. My trainer gave it to me. And then Hal Letterman, who's a big supporter and a big fan, mm-hmm. one day he was like, and Monty shot him down like he had two guns. <laughs> and then it just like stopped. Uh, yeah, Love do you know, um, there was another fighter. You, you often find that nicknames are replicated over the history of boxing. And there was another fighter called Two Gun uh, that I remember was Anthony Fletcher, who was actually Frank yeah. Maddox, the, the animal Fletcher's brother. brother. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, now I didn't know that. I know it was a couple of Two Guns. It was a guy named, I think, um, um, I forgot the guy's name. It'll come to me, but I, I remember hearing his name. Yeah. He's, he was in Vegas. Um, I said, I said this name, a gentleman named um, Abraham Davis. They called him Pops. He died yeah. in 2017. He was 102 years old. Wow. He was born in two. He was born in um, 2014. I mean, I mean, I mean, uh, 1914. <laughs> I said 2004. He was born in 1914, <laughs> but he was a great man. He showed me how to fight, mm-hmm. and uh, I owed all everything that I learned. I, I, I owe it to him. Now, where did you meet him? I met him through as a fighter in Brooklyn who he was um his name was Herbie Ville. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if you ever heard of him, but he was the Golden Glove guy. He used mm-hmm. to box with Riddick Bow at the uh, gym or in Brooklyn all the time. Yeah. And I had got him a job because I had a, co- a collision. I was getting people jobs in Queens. I got him a job and he was like, you know, he knew me for fighting in the streets. And he was like, yo, he said, I, I got I got this this old man who can teach you some real good stuff. I yeah. said, Who? He said his name is Pops. He was training a couple of fights at the time. He trained Bruce Finch when he fought Sugar Ray Lennon. Okay. okay. Right. 
So yeah, so pops, uh, he took me to his house, and then it was next thing you know, I was in the dungeon. It's, it's, <laughs> we went downstairs in the basement, and he had pulleys. He had bungee cords on that was was uh, was a uh, tied into the wall. He bolted the, bull, the, the the pulleys into the wall, and he had you just getting strong, just getting strong, just pulling the yeah. pulley. And then he have a jab pulley and a, a, a double a double a double end back pulley and heavy back pulley. And he yeah. had a little room. It had spiders and it had mice in it and everything. But they was home, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> everybody went down there to train and get big and get strong. Yeah. Wow. So wow, wow, wow. you you were talking off camera. We were talking Monte about the Star at City Gym. You were talking about how you were trained by uh, Judah's father, J Joel. But also that you trained at Starrett City, where the, I know there's a legendary trainer back there who died a few about ten years ago called Jimmy O'Farrell, who was yeah. a massively important boxing guru and a father figure to many of the young men in that in that area of, of, of New York. Yeah, Jimmy O was one of a kind. Um, um, Al Davis took me to Jimmy O, and him and um, Jimmy Glenn. I don't know. I don't know if you, you heard Jimmy Glenn. He was the a man, right? Right, exactly. He has a bar, Jimmy's Corner. So they they told me the um they took me over there to uh to uh Jimmy O'Farrell, and he became like a father to me. You know, he was he blessed. He was he was a blessing to Shannon Briggs, Louis Collazo, everybody that went into his gym became like his son. And he had so much knowledge and information. And also, he was so good because he had Star City behind us, and they sponsored me to go all around the country fighting. And that's yeah. how I got good because we all the trips to pay for. Okay. And as long as I kept fighting and winning, he kept getting yeah. a sponsorship from Star City, and I was able to go and do uh, big things. Now, uh, let me ask you, Monty, how old were you at the time? When did you start boxing? <laughs> I started boxing at 22. What? That's pretty late. Pretty, That's pretty late. I was, I was a grown man <laughs> fighting kids, man. I was paying bills and everything. I had my own business. I was, I, I, you know, just, I, I just did a community college. I came out of mm -hmm. college. Yeah. I was grown man fighting, but I always had it because, like Al said, he Pop said, you can train a fighter to do many things, but you can't train a fighter to have heart. Yeah, he said, sure. and you got a, a a whole bunch of that. Now I got, I have to teach you how to skills. box and 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 learn some skills behind that. So let me ask you: so what were you doing? Were you doing any other sports before twenty two years old? Yes, I I played sports all my life. I mean. The first sport I played was in the streets. <laughs> I was in the streets, but besides that, I played um, I played baseball from the fourth grade to the sixth grade. Yeah. And then when I got in high, when I got in um, um, what you got middle school, I played yeah. uh, junior high school. I played basketball, and yeah. then when I got in high school, I ran track and played football. I was all American, all city, all Queens wow. at the Daily News, and yeah. I also you know ran track. And not one of those things are like boxing. And that's what's so incredibly amazing because what, what happens is the older you start in boxing, the more painful it is. So the less likely mm. you are to learn the things you need to learn. Yeah. Way, when you're starting in single digits, like you're 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, before the man strength starts to kick in, that's the best time to learn boxing because it isn't painful to learn to slip a punch. True. If it hurts, every if I get hit every time I'm trying to learn to slip a punch, after a while, I'm just not going to slip the punch anymore. So there's, you know what I mean? It takes away the incentive. But but the fact that you were able to do that, and and even just the skills of throwing combinations and letting your mm -hmm. hands go, mm -hmm. that's that's massive. At 22 years of age, you're generally like landlocked. Is that? I think yeah. as well, Monte and Silk. I think often that kind of backstory is often peculiar to the heavyweight division. 
it, it, it mostly applies that you need to start young and you need to get on the horse pretty early mm -hmm. for the reasons yeah. you just detailed. But they will mm -hmm. often find a big athletic guy who's already in his 20s, early 20s, but they, boxing people will identify that kind of talent uh, latent as it might be. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, you can still do this, son. You can still, you're a heavyweight, yeah. so it's different. You mature later. There's less of you. There's less guys walking around that size, although I know Monty wasn't the biggest heavyweight. But you know what I mean? In the heavyweight division, that seems to be a possible story. You can take it up late and still be very successful. But I was small. I was a small heavyweight in my yeah. in my um, in my um, in the space I was in in the years yeah. that I boxed, and it was a guy named Ty Fields. I bought. I fought him. I knocked him on the first round on HBO. Yeah. Fifty-seven seconds. He started when he was twenty-two as well. Yeah. You know, I had a drink with that guy once. He came second in the prize fighter, international prize fighter in. Oh, in, I think it was 2011 or 2010, yeah. and I had a I had a Hungarian fighter, or I was assisting a Hungarian fighter in the right. in the in the tournament, and um, and Ty Fields he he lost in the final. He got stopped mm -hmm. by um, Mike Perez, the Cuban, but right. he was but he was good company. He was having a few drinks afterwards, like he he still had the uh, the 16 grand semi final prize, and he was good yeah. company. He was a good yeah, guy. He, he, good guy, yes, good guy. So crazy, you know what I, I noticed? Like what Michael said. One thing about boxing, you know, when you when you start late, you know, you feel punches like when you're younger, you're like Superman. You don't feel anything. That's yeah. why the last fight when I fought Luis Ortiz, mm -hmm. and I said I, I had a conscious going into the fight. For one, I went in two weeks of um just for two weeks for preparation, but yeah. I was so I was too conscious, worried about how I was going to get hit and taking punches. And I was like, mm -hmm. I said, if this fight doesn't work out for me, I'm done. Because yeah, I yeah. knew, you know how you know it. Like we, yeah, as yeah, fighters, yeah. we cannot be conscious of yeah. getting hit. Like that's, that's the one thing. Yeah, no. once you're conscious of, once you're conscious of the pain, and yeah. you start to feel it. You start to feel the little things you wouldn't usually feel. You're right. Usually, what I think it is, I think it's the reality has finally dawned on you because there's a denial which fighters need this wall of arrogance and self belief to be. No, successful. no, actually, it's called Father Tom. You know, you know what it, you know what it is, Ben. <laughs> you know, you know what it really is. I think there's, I think there's also medically or physiologically, whatever it may mm. be. Your resistance goes. The resistance to the adrenaline, like you have less adrenaline, and and adrenaline is some of the things that mask pain. <laughs> yeah, Mike. You know what I think it is for me. It was for me. It was. It was age and you have more of a conscience, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you get so as we get older, we get softer and hard. Mm -hmm. We get soft in spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And we start to submit to certain things, right? And one of the, one of the things we submit to is that our superhero instincts, that we are not Superman anymore. And I think mm -hmm. that we're so much more conscious like me. Like, you know, every every year and every day I get I get become a different person. I yeah. wasn't the same person when I was 22, when I was in the street and I was yeah. boxing. I was mm -hmm. like Superman, right? Yeah. And then yeah. when you get older, you meet your kryptonite. Those yeah. punches... <laughs> they, they, they catch on to you. They catch oh, up yeah, to you, yeah. right? Yeah, they do catch up. Now you're saying that um, you'd mentioned the streets a couple of times. You were born in New in Brooklyn. In no, Brooklyn? I was born in North Carolina, North in Carolina okay. but I came here one years old in in Queens, South Side. Oh, okay, okay. So you came over in Queens at one years of age. What was life like growing up from Monty Barrett? What was that? Life was. It was. Kind, I mean, life was. As kids are, when you're young, you have to yeah. adapt. So I thought life was great, you know what I'm saying? But I experienced a lot of hardship, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and not to blame anyone, it's just my it just my, my path. My path was kind of hard. And yeah. um, it was like, you know, I was molested. 
you know, I was in I was in violence. I was selling drugs at 11, 12 years old. I was yeah. exposed to a lot. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was I was exposed to a lot of violence. Were you and, exposed to it in your like in your home life or like when you went outside? My, yeah, yeah, first is always in your home life. It was you know, I was exposed to it in my home life and then from that point on, you know, um it became a way of life. You know, yeah. you become a product of the environment, right? So me having all those things happen to me, it was just a way of life. I didn't know any different until I got older. Did you use that as fuel in your athletics, in your sports, do you think, or in your boxing in any way? Did that help work things out or no? It's just an absolutely separate. Well, if I if I think I think I had always I was an angry kid. And I always wanted to be accepted because of the rejection, right? Yeah. So yeah. I always wanted to be the man or yeah. be moving forward or be yeah. known, right? Yeah. And I was very known in the streets for fighting. I had yeah. legendary fights in the streets. <laughs> and, you know, and so when I started boxing, it was like, you know, it was the oxymoron. Like, wow, yeah. that, yeah. that makes sense. Monte yeah, yeah. is boxing and he's, he, was, he was the man and he was violent in the street, right? Yeah. So, but, was, so, so like when you're... I mean, on the streets and then in the ring, even though they're familiar, they're not quite the same. So you had, because all things are even in a fight and all things aren't always even in the street, right? So so what was this attitude like? Like, did you have a killer instinct? You were an instigator. And does that was it the same personality character you had on the street? Was it the same you carried into the ring? I, I've always been a, a, a very... Um, um, laid back mellow type of person yeah. most of the fights i had i had i was fighting people like for my friends because we had like back then it wasn't on gangs it was a crew yeah. but i was the youngest out of the crew but i was the biggest yeah so back in those days it was like beat up the big guy and everybody else gonna run that's, yeah, that's so, true. I had, so i had to fight everybody fight and then you know i was a little cocky you know yeah. because i you know i had a chip on my shoulder because of yeah. all the pain i was dealing with Right yeah, yeah, yeah. from from childhood, I didn't know. You know, yeah. I just realized when I hear people talk about me coming up and the things they say, and I said, "Wow, I can I can hear where the pain was." You know what I'm yeah. saying? So when yeah. you're saying when you were young and you're you're hurt and you're molested, you had said, "I'm sorry." Yeah. Um, like that kind of that kind of anger, that kind of frustration, that kind of fuel. Uh, you weren't able to do anything with it at that time. Obviously, there wasn't any kind of psychoanalysis or anything you're going through where you were at um you have brothers and sisters i have a sister we eight years apart but as a man in the 70s as a young kid you're taught to shut up mind mm -hmm. your business and don't say nothing it's mm -hmm. in in a black culture you know it's a yeah. it's a taboo it's a family yeah. taboo yeah, yeah. and you keep that between your family and yeah. nobody is yeah. no is no healing because there's no is no acceptance right yeah yeah so that for me it was more so like a uh i became a product of my environment which was violence right yeah. my stepfather before he passed away uh a, a couple of years ago he was a good guy he you know it's not how you start it's how you finish like sure. me, we all yeah. got we all got our cross to carry, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then when he was in his twenties and he met my mother, and my mother was 16, 17 years old, he was very uh destructive to me and my mom's and he was very abusive. Why? But I mean, listen, we we have before he passed away, me and my father had a great my stepfather, we had a great relationship. I loved him dearly. Yeah. And you know, he he came to terms with who he was and he he was a a hell of a guy yeah. but when we were younger when when i was younger he was a little monster you know what i'm saying yes, and that's yeah. just a, and you listen you know my mother was a, she was she was she was teenager she was 17 years old she didn't know any better 
That's where right? she had you. Yeah, she had me at 16. And then yeah. when she moved to New York, she was 17. But mm -hmm. you know, in all on, on her in, in her defense, she didn't know any better. She just was, you know, she's a young girl from the country with yeah. probably five to ten thousand population, if that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. she's coming to the New York to the big rotten apple. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah. it was supposed to be the, the big apple, but it was yeah. a rotten apple for me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's some history you got going on there. And may I ask you also before we step back into the boxing, what about your uh, your your father, your biological father? Well, I didn't find out who my biological father was until I was 50 years old. That's crazy. No. I'm 51. I just, I'll be 52 this, uh, in May, but 50 years old, I just found out who he was. I had an idea. It was between two different guys, but um, mm -hmm. I, I was able to find out who he was. He had passed May 25th, uh, like 2018, a day before my birthday. Wow. Right? Because I was born. But, but I knew, I, I had an idea, uh, and he has a twin brother that him and I are close, right? Yeah, so yeah. I got a chance, you know, and believe it or not, his twin brother was always around when I used to go to my grandparents' house because my yeah. grandparents was my, they was my safe haven. So I went there yeah. every summer from the age of five to 16. Yeah. So my mother did some really good things for me by taking, let me go to my grandparents yes. because it was structure, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a lot of love yeah. and it was balance. You know, they kept mm -hmm. me in a boys and girls yeah. club. We went to the Elves Club because they was Masons and we went to church. And Monday yes. through Friday, I would be in a, in a boys club where yeah. it was structure and, you know, you learn how to deal with, you know, socializing. I so, and, and being around family. So it was good. You know, I like I said, that was like the highlight of my my, my whole year going down yeah. south to see my grandparents. Yeah. So not a lot of great memories coming up as a, as a, as a, as a kid, as an adolescent. Well, I had I had great memories, you know, fighting it, fighting in the streets, all them legendary <laughs> fights, man. Those are great, man. You know, listen, yeah. you know, running around and and stealing cars and hustling. Yeah. To me, that was great because that's all I knew, right? Yeah. Me and my yeah. boy used to go up go up town and buy drugs and yeah. come back down. Like we did all that stuff because that's that's what that's what we were. We were a part of that. But then yeah. I knew that I knew something something bigger, right? I was in a car accident in, in 1986, Thanksgiving night. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mm -hmm. I was 16 years old. Mm -hmm. I was in a coma for two months, right? I had, I, I, uh, they told me I wasn't going to walk again. Yeah. Um, I had a puncture. I got a hole in my, I still got a hole in my, in my side because they had to put a hole. I had yeah. a punctured lung. I was bleeding yeah. internally. Yeah. Um, four broken ribs, dislocated shoulder and neck. And I was, uh, I was out. I had 150 stitches in my ear, came off. Yeah. And that might taste anybody though. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I was blessed. I mean, I was in a coma for two months and God and somebody was over looking over me. Angels, God, somebody got me through that. Just like through everything I've been through, it, yeah. it built my faith. I didn't, I wasn't a person of faith then. Yeah. I used to go to church every now and again with my my, my relatives. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, everything, all of my pain had a purpose for it, right? Because it made me who I am today. I'm yeah. a man of strong faith. I pray. I meditate. You know, um, I am an example of love, the love of God, of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. 
And that's my, my and, and what, if I had to go through that to get here, then yeah. I'll do it all over again. So you would do it all over again. Right. So, so, wow, that's incredible, man. It's an incredible story. I, I can hear that forgiveness, by the way. Uh, forgive me for cutting in, Silk. Um, in the maturity no, and the forgiveness you display, when you talk about your stepfather and the difficult relationship in your earlier years, and it, it would be possible to have harbor resentments forever <clears> and to blame your mother for it as well. But I can hear a lot of kind of uh, wisdom and, and kind of uh, forgiveness in, in, in the way you speak about that, Monty. Yeah. yeah, so let me, before we get on to the good things in the career, let me tell you something. So I, I did a, a, a couple, of, like a couple of weeks ago, I did a thing, an uh, interview, and it was, it was a very decent interview. I'm very, I'm very vulnerable and I'm very um, open about my life, you know, because I feel like when I tell, when I tell people my story, I did a, um, a deathspin, I did an article in deathspin and a lot of people came to it and it was like, you know, reaching out for me like, yo, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I needed that, I needed that. Mm -hmm. Long yep. story short, my mother, she was really upset about it. And she came okay. out, she attacked me. She attacked me really bad, said some really bad things. Like, I was a She didn't think like, you could have shared some of that stuff publicly? Huh? Because she, she didn't, didn't think, think you could have shared some of the things you shared? She, she said I was a liar and that oh. I killed people for a living. I killed my okay. uncle. I killed my cousin. I killed my nephew. And I killed people for a living. She went on social media. She had, she texted me the hard, most horrible messages. Good. And what I did was, um, I don't... I was really hurt, and I, I think I went to a, a semi of depression, because my wife, I was like, man, I'm so tired all the time, and I'm, mind you, yeah. I run 50 miles a month, and I work out four times a week, and I was so tired for the past week, right? So when I went to church, I went to church um, last week, and I, I had a moment, I started crying, and I, I just asked God to forgive me for anything that I did out of, outside his will. And God yeah. put it on my heart for me to text my mother. So right in church, I text, I said, uh, I said, I love you. And I hope, I hope you get better. And I hope that you heal from that. And I was able to release that. I don't know if she received it or not. Cause you know, yeah. uh, she blocked me, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But at the same time, I had to release myself from that. Yeah. I forgive and love my mother. She's my first love, but yeah. nobody's right. Let me just explain this. Yes. I'm a parent. I felt that being a parent, I don't have a, it's not a manual how to be the best parent, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm working on building my relationship with my kids. You know yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. And they went through some trauma and I got to accept them. You know what I said to my kids? I'm sorry for the pain that I hurt, that I caused you mm -hmm. on my behalf. And mm -hmm. then I say, I take accountability that I was wrong. How can I help you? Right. Yeah. And every time when, and we, we building a relationship, but they'll come to me sometime and they dealing with some stuff from the past that I know nothing about. Yeah. That's their reality. Yeah. I got to embrace that. And I got to yeah. say, I'm sorry. And I, and I'm very humble. I said, baby, I'm sorry. What can I, what can daddy do? That's all. Yeah. And they say, sometimes they'll, they'll say, uh, just give me a couple of days and I got to yeah. back off, yeah. give them a couple of days. And they'll call me and say, you know, daddy, I was just going through something. We had talk about it and we are done with it, right? And we go through this on, we go through this, you know, this this is a lot of hurt and a lot of built up pain, yeah, right? Man. So mm -hmm. this is things that take time. It's not gonna, Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. It's gonna take time for people to completely heal. And you never completely heal, but you learn to deal with what you have. Well, what happens, right? Exactly what you're saying, uh, you're saying, Monty, is what happens is when you when we have trauma, when trauma happens to us, and most of us, especially when we don't have professional help, we we tend to stay at the point that trauma happened. No matter how time goes on, 
Yeah. We still stay at that. We can't get past the trauma. So you stay at that age. If trauma happened to you at 14, 15, 16, whatever happened, this is where your mind, your body, your, your, your spirit stays until you're able to release it and let go and forgive and all those other things you're talking about. Then you can go on and continue that normal or, or even an exceptional life, which is what you've done. You, you've um, carved out something exceptional for yourself. But listen, Michael, I'm going to tell you this last thing. So my daughter, she's 26 now. Yeah. And, you know, we, we got, we, we're closing the gap and we, we have a great relationship now. But, yeah. and her mother is one hell of a, a mom. You know what I'm saying? She raised her. She raised all four of my daughters. Amazing yeah. Yeah. graduates and, you know, and career. And, yeah. you know, and I, all, all the credit. She, she deserves all the credit because yeah. I wasn't there as a father to fill in the gap. Right? Yeah. So mm -hmm. I asked my, my daughter, I need to email her something. So I, I, I said, what's your email? She said her name, and she said seven uh, at Gmail. I said, what's seven for? She said, because that's when your mommy broke up and got divorced. Mm -hmm. Boom. My heart dropped. I started crying. Yeah. I had to hang up with her, and I, yeah. I had to really embrace that. Like, yeah. that's, that's heavy that mm -hmm. her email is the year, her, yeah. her age when me and her mother divorced, and her, yeah. all the pain she went mm -hmm. through as a child because yeah. as i was a child we just made adjustments kids are very soft and they're very adjustable we make yeah. adjustments right yeah, now and, and even right now my, my, my youngest daughter who was eight but me and her mother separated when she was seven mm -hmm. and my daughter who's 26 now she said daddy be there and don't uh continue to fight for gabby don't give up on her because i know how that feels Mm -hmm. Right. Even though I never gave up on my kids, but I felt like I didn't want to fight because I've been fighting my whole life. Right. Yeah. If it wasn't in the ring, it was in the streets. If it wasn't yeah. there, it was in home. Yeah. I just I just kind of pulled back and yeah. it's not a good thing. But I'm in, I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy for a while and yeah. I go I go to therapy because now my therapy is that's my coach. She's yeah. going to get me across the finish line. She's going to get me to that 12th round. Yeah. Right. That championship yeah. round. And yeah. I think it's so important for men to have therapy. Because it's not a person trying to give you answers or criticize yeah. you. It's a person trying to help you and coach you so you can do better. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Wow. <laughs> no, um, and Ben, uh, I don't know if you have anything more to add well, on that. I, I was wondering what you were going to say next because Monte is, is such a fantastic guest and he's been so... I love the way it's got nothing to do with boxing right now. And it's, yeah. I see we've still got the viewers. The audience has not gone anywhere. No, it has, and, no, uh, it has nothing know, to do with boxing, but it has everything to do with the fight, which is life. Absolutely. Yeah, the fight, and, yeah. And I think, you know, because I, I know some of, some of what you say resonates with me because I'm an alcoholic. I haven't had a drink for just over six years. And some of these same things, the same themes about forgiveness, resentment, and recognizing our own parts in things and our own culpability, and, you know, and forgiveness and apologizing and making amends. There's a lot of that involved, you know, whatever whatever it is that gets you to that point, whether it's trauma, addiction, mm -hmm. both, you know. So, right. um, I mean, that's something that um, it, it, it's good to hear. You you see a lot of fighters, right, um, Monte, particularly guys who didn't quite get to the mountaintop, but they scale close to it. They can sometimes end up with nothing but a, a scrambled brains and a gym bag full of broken dreams and a whole bunch of resentments. So it's fantastic, even though we, we haven't even touched on your remarkable career yet. It's fantastic to hear someone who is so... Um, articulate and um yeah. in a good place you know philosophically and understands yeah. certain things that he didn't understand when he was young and foolish and and you know yeah. providers you know yeah mm -hmm. yeah well there's i think there's a lot of things we still have to you know uh, atone to as we grow older like now i know that i'm in an older place 
even though I was there every day for my children, at the same time, I wasn't always really there for them. Like you can just, you can zone out. You, you may not have addictions. You may not have all these other things, but. Yeah, life, life yeah. history. Yeah, you know what I mean? And then, and then all you're doing is if someone's not putting you on point, mm-hmm. all you're doing is building up regret. Yeah, and, yeah. and regret's one of the hardest things to get over with. I mean, uh, speaking of regret, that's one of the things I want to talk to you. And it's a good segue back into your boxing. Is that do you regret any direction you've taken in your fight career? Okay, I regret two. I regret a few things, but the two big things I regret. I regret mm-hmm. fighting Hasim Rockman okay. because that was a money trap, and um, I regret. Um, well, I didn't regret. Um, I, I regret I didn't. I didn't retire after the Klitschko fight. I mean, after the yeah. uh, David Tua fight. The, first, the, the second David Tua fight, I regret I didn't retire because, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying, you know, as an athlete, we always feel like we Superman, and yeah. and even though I, that was one of the, my best performance, you know, yeah. especially in my 40s to fight the way I fought them. Yeah. The point of it is that you know, um, it was time to go. And, you know, I didn't have no, I didn't have no plan B, you know, so. How old were you at that time? 40 something years old. When I fought David, the the second fight, I was like 40 something. I think I was, that was in 2000, um, 2011. Yeah, 2000. I was like 39, 40, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, matter of fact, yeah, I was 40. Yeah, 40. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So at that point in time, I was like, man, you know, I, so I regret that I didn't, I didn't stop when I should have stopped. And yeah. it was just the lower of the money? Hmm? Was it, it was quite money? simply the lower of the money? No, I, I think it was a little bit of everything. So it was a little, it was a little bit of insecurity. It was a little bit of instability. It was a little bit of the money and the fame, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, most athletes, not just boxers, boxers are just a little bit more uh, 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 unsettled than other athletes because we don't have a union. We don't have no protection, right? No. And the promoters and the, and the network control everything. They control all the money. We just get a little piece here and there. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, man, what am I going to do next? You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. You know, I had a little bit of dollars, but not to the not the money that I made. Yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to figure things out. And then my my um, my lady at the time was uh was pregnant with my daughter. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, man, what's going on? But, oh, but, but, but that was in 2014 when I fought Luis Ortiz. But like I said, after the David Tua fight, uh, I just think I should have. And I was in a bad space emotionally and mentally as well, you know? Do you, uh... Roy Leonard said to me uh, when he was speaking about his comebacks, the ill-fated comebacks against Tony Norris and Hector Camacho, he said he came back because he felt safe in the ring. He felt relatively more stable in the ring than he did anywhere else. Was did, did you identify with that? Well, I, I always identify with the ring as the most um, the one of the one of the safest places, but the most loneliest places. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. It's yeah. very it, I like. Listen, you know what I'm saying. I'm in, I'm in a I'm in a war zone since I came out my mother's womb, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, so that's, I'm comfortable there, right? But it's also so lonely, right? Yeah, you, yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it's lonely. I mean, you, you got everybody cheering for you. And then when you get in that ring, it's just you and that guy. And then yeah. it's quiet and you hear you're alone with your own thoughts. And you hear, yeah. right, you, you're alone with your thoughts and everybody else's thoughts because yeah. you have that one person. Yeah. And I've, I've been in this, I've been in fights and I, I came to one, 
one um person in a in the arena. Sometimes most of the time it's my trainer, but sometimes it'll be somebody else. Yeah. And I can hear that one person every yeah. caters. Yeah. And yeah. I gotta get through that because sometimes what they tell me ain't the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I've had that same thing happen to me, but what happens with me when I get into when I got into the ring and I had that issue, I would always I don't hear a voice, but the time I do hear a voice, I know mm -hmm. that I'm not in, that I'm not like, I haven't self hypnotized. I'm not yeah. mm -hmm. I'm really in the fight because I, I hear somebody saying something that I hear the, the announcers saying things yeah. and I hear people yelling certain yeah. words or instructions. Yeah. And the times when I'm at my best, I'm not hearing anything. Right. Do you ever hear the commentators, Monty? Did you ever hear the commentators joining your fights ever? Just then, one time. One yeah, time I did, uh, but I and that was when I fought the Dominique Gwynn fight, and that was one of my best fights. But yeah. I know that, um, like you know, when I when I fought David Tua, I my second fight, I've I, I've ran 125 miles for that fight. Uh -huh. I boxed 80 plus rounds. I had uh James Ali Bashir as my trainer. Uh -huh. I pushed yeah. myself, I, I was like 40 something, like I said, 41, whatever, 40, yeah. 42. I pushed myself like nobody business. I, I was running from I lived in Bayonne, New Jersey. I ran to Staten Island and to Bayonne back like four times a week. And I why was, was that? Was it because you felt insecure? You felt you wouldn't be in shape? Like what? No, what? I just wanted. No, I was always decent. Like if I if I go through all my pictures, I, I'm like physically, I'm always in shape. My yeah. shape is mentally, spiritually, and emotionally, right? Yeah. Because you know, I deal with a lot of a chaos in my in my in my um in my emotions with. Where am I as far as my was my stick to measure myself, my measuring stick? Yeah. Right. So I always want to outdo myself. So I thought David Tour was running two miles a day. So I ran four miles a day. Yeah. Right. I wanted to outdo. I thought when, when I was boxing, and this is my said, and, and Bajir asked me, I said, listen, I said, let's box a couple more rounds. Well, I boxed 10 rounds. I said, let's do 12. He said, we good. I said, listen, I said, just for my confidence, I said, because yeah. David Tour is probably doing the same thing. I wanted uh -huh. to have an edge. So when I went into that fight, I had I want I had the edge. Quick story, me and Zab are like, you know, best friends. Like he's my, you know, he's gonna be the best man at my wedding and everything. Yeah. And so we went to we went to Casa Zoo when he fought Casa Zoo in Vegas. You know, I had got Zab his own his own uh his own wheel company. It was called the super the the Zab Judah spinning wheel. Yeah, that's like the Latrell Free Wheel, right? I got him that that deal. And we was out there with Mayweather. We was um Every night for like a week, we Mayweather and Zab, we all played basketball, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And Zab was getting ready for a fight. But you know, the Vegas time is different. Yeah. Every every day, um, every night we fought, we did a four for like four games, four court. After every fight, after every every game we played, like every night, Mayweather mm -hmm. would get his bag out of his car. And put on his jumpsuit, his running, his work, running workout stuff, and he would run four miles on the treadmill every night. Yeah, and I'm like, wow, that's yeah. that's exceptionally a lot of discipline that and is. obedience. Yes. And he believed in himself. Yeah. Look, it all paid off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I wish I had that discipline. You know, yeah. he was bred for that. You know what I'm saying? Because he been through a lot of chaotic stuff himself as well. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. But I heard Floyd would like attend a gala ceremony in a tuxedo. And he has taken the blazer off before and ran home from wherever the ceremony was to where I, he was I going. Believe, listen, I believe you because let me tell you something. I've seen him every for the whole week, every night 
we play, you know, you got you got 10, 20 guys, and then we talking junk, we playing basketball. Yeah. It's a lot of energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And just to, for him to get on, put in his stuff, his uh, his workout stuff, and run four miles every 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 night after that. Yeah. Well, you see what happened, you see what happened with two things. It's really interesting to me. You see, after the Olympics, when Floyd won when Floyd uh Rose. lost his Olympic fight. And when Roy Jones lost his, and Roy yeah. was upset, but you see Floyd really come apart with that controversial decision. Yeah. Like I remember seeing Roy because that was just beyond controversial. That was just that was a wipeout, and they still yeah. gave it to the kid, the Korean kid. When that happened to Floyd, the same thing, but Floyd just came undone. Like so, you knew that he took that fuel and fuel like that from his experiences in his life, and he put it like it's just a natural part of his constitution, and he used that. In order to you know fuel what he became as a professional boxer, which is beyond exceptional. And you say he's the emotional person. I've been around Floyd. Yeah. Uh, he's actually a good guy. But you know, yeah. I, when I trained with Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, yeah. I was in Vegas a lot. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, every time I see Floyd, it's nothing but love. But when yeah. I see him crying, I see any man crying yeah. and exposing himself in front of the world. Yeah. I don't care what it is. It's a lot of pain. Yeah. Right. And 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 to be able, if you if and and he's so comfortable in that ring. Right, yeah. that he can release from there. Like when I'm in church, I cry. Right, yeah. when I'm at home, I cry. Yeah. That's what I feel safe at. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. but for you to be in the, in front of the world yeah. and and let it out, uh, mm -hmm. even if you crown because you're happy or whatever, yeah, yeah. that's a bone. Men don't cry. We are taught to hold everything in, mind your business, go in the corner and figure yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, one hundred percent. What was it like training? Huh. You're not acquainted with feelings half the time because we're told not to have them or encouraged not yeah. to have them. So well, that's they, one they thing don't necessarily help you. They don't necessarily help you in a squared circle. That's for sure. Well, no, in boxing, <laughs> this is what my, that's what Michael Bent said, the former WBO heavyweight champion. Yeah, I love Michael when Bent. He's a great guy. I love when him. he went into acting, he said, "As a fighter, you have to wear this mask." He said, "Being an actor, it's all about taking that mask off." He said, yeah. and that was the conflict between being yeah. a fighter. And an actor, you know, a thespian performer. Because, yeah. yeah. Michael's a great guy. I, I, I love all, I love all the guys that I, I scrapped with and the guys that I came up looking at. I mean, yeah. you got to have a different type of respect because it's not easy going between those ropes, between no. the square circle, like Teddy Alice say, right? Yeah. It's one of the hardest things to do because you're giving up everything. You're giving up your manhood, basically. <laughs> As you step in that ring, Right, and you got past that second doctor visit. It's mm -hmm. it's on. Yeah, you can't yeah. you can't go out. You cannot. You can't. You got to go out on your shield because yeah. after that second doctor visit, and Mike could tell you, it's all better off. Right, you got to go. Right, yeah. you, you, it, you yes. can't pull out. Only way you can pull out is say you get hit by a car or you get poisoned, food poisoned by yeah. accident. But and, and nothing, Monty. Nothing else counts. You may have you may have had your fingers cut off before you put your hand in the gloves, <laughs> and nobody want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Like, no, no, exactly. Yeah, you're in the ring. You're boxing. That's it. That's all we know. Whereas if a fighter, like if a football player, twists his ankle. And you know they said, well, he couldn't make that cut because his ankles. Da, da, da. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, he couldn't hit that thing because his fingers swollen because he jammed his fingers with the basketball. Right. Everyone's like, oh yeah, I can understand that. Excuses for days. A boxer can't get one and not one excuse. Mm -hmm. And, and fans are not loyal you as it is, so you already know. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. man, it's it's um, it's definitely either beat not there out in the, out in the fight world.
It's crazy. Let me ask you, what injuries do you feel you suffered in boxing that persist to today? Well, all right. So I told you, you I, was, yeah. I had to, no, but I had, I had a, a bad car accident, right? So that was a concussion, right? And I yeah. was in a coma. Then when did that happen? When you were that happened in 1986, I was 16 years old. Okay. But fast forward, when I fought, when I got cleared and stopped boxing, I went and got a full physical. Yeah. And they told me that I probably had a, a few concussions that I know knew, yeah. knew nothing about. Yeah. My first severe concussion is I had two concussions. I had the first severe concussion is when I fought uh, Nikolo Baluev. Okay. I had I eight knots on my head. Uh, I don't remember anything after the fourth round. Wow. I, I, you know, I was on shield. I mean, uh, Bezier stopped the fight, I think the fight around the 11th round. Mm -hmm. But that was my first ever severe concussion. I was I had to stay in the hospital. Yeah. And my second concussion is when I fought Cliff Cowser. Okay. I, yeah. fought, I fought Cliff Cowser, and it was a fight. I, I was like, I was in such a bad space because I just wanted to get away from Kane, right? Sure. Yeah. And, and what happened was, I was like, after this fight, I knew King had this under the contract that I could get out because he didn't yep. give me the fight. And I had a strong manager at the time named Rick. So I was focused on, I was looking past Cliff. I wasn't even thinking about Cliff. I was mm -hmm. thinking about getting out of the contract. I wasn't even thinking about the next fight. I was so yeah. happy to get out of the contract. Leave. Right. I got out of the contract, all right, <laughs> with a loss. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I didn't, well, didn't want to go out that money. way, but... I went out that way, but you know, but I fought him the very next fight because Lou said, Monte, Lou DeBella said, Monte, right now your career is tainted. You mm -hmm. lost to Cliff Cowser. Yeah. I mean, Cliff Cowser wasn't no bum. You know yeah. what I'm saying? He wasn't no, he wasn't a he wasn't a, a B level fighter, yeah. but he was strong, but he got lucky, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Boy, he didn't have, I can't say lucky because no, nobody get lucky in boxing. Yeah, he put the work in. Uh -huh. So second fight, I stopped him in the second round. And I got back on track because I got a chance yeah. to fight Todd Fields, right? Yeah. Right. So, you know, but that, you know, that was one of those, one of those triumph. It was like a, a trial in time for me because if I didn't stop him in the fashion that, that I did, my career was over. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know that Tim Witherspoon claims that he actually tanked that fight with Bunker Smith, the rematch, when he lost the WBA title, which uh, because he wanted to leave Don King and he just didn't care anymore. He was so demotivated, a little bit like yeah. what you were describing there. Tim says he took a dive. He said he he said he threw that fight just because he didn't want to win the fight and stay tied to King and go into them. What would have been a Mike Tyson unification fight, which Smith got in the end back in. I 19 believe I believe that. Listen, Don King and he he's an icon and he's a legend in, in in boxing in the world. Good guy, but bad business guy. But I understood about one thing. I understood about business is that my first promoter, Joe DeGuardia, he was my manager. <laughs> And then he became yeah. my promoter. But I understand this about boxing. Promoters are the the person who have the closest relationship are the trainer and the fighter, right? Everybody yeah. else is in bed with each other, yeah. right? Yeah. And once you know that, and you know it's business at that point, it's business. So when Joe, when um when I got with Joe and we had a, a our um we had a disagreement, a contract uh, disagreement, and I went uh, my separate ways. I understood at that point that it wasn't personal it was business and i was able to deal with that better so don king it wasn't personal it was business every promoter yeah you dealt with was 
was business. But and you don't buy into the narrative that Don King's an evil man and a reprehensible individual. No, Don King might have. Don King is. Don King been doing. He been getting away with things his way for so long. If it ain't broke, he ain't gonna fix it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So yeah. I don't think that he's an evil person. I think he's a hell of a guy. I mean, yeah. I have a lot of fun with him. He liked to eat steak and talk junk. He speak four different languages, maybe five. You know, he was. I, I had some good, memorable times with him. Five you know, even five. when he went to court. But you know, job. it's just. But it's just the business. It's the business. Is a it a, it a beat you down. Well, that, you know what it is, much. You know what you know what they do. What here's the thing. The problem that I have with like promoters or managers and even lawyers in a lot of ways they come at you they want your business and they treat you professionally like that but they come at you with love first they put love first yeah but it's, it's, you know what i mean they they tell you that they love you and and, and you're a gullible fighter like what else are you going to think they they do things so oh, don't worry about that i'll get no. that i love you and, and you know what i mean and all the rest <laughs> of that kind of stuff and you're sitting there and you're, you're not coming from like me myself i didn't come from uh, uh, a family that had eloquent business practice. You know, right. what I mean? I'm coming up from what everyone else is coming up from. I've exactly. never experienced this before. So you're going to get lump sum some money in your pocket, and you're not going to know what the hell to do with it except for spend it. You don't mm -hmm. know nothing about investing, none of that. And that's why maybe one of the only boxes, one of the few boxes that ended up well in 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 life is like Mark Breland. You know, yeah. Shelly. Oh, let me give let me give you let me give you an example, Ben. Mike, let me tell you this crazy story with Shelly Finkel. Yeah. So you remember Gary Bell? Yes. yes. So that was a good friend of mine. So Gary Bell was fighting on, on Shelly Finkel. We, me, and, me and Chico, we both from Queens, Southside. So yeah. we was good people, whatever. So we was, we was winning everything in a, in a, in a New York. Shelly came up to me. Beth, me and Beth love you, Monty. We embrace you. Da, da, da. And then, you know, Zab was with me. It was me, Chico, and Zab. So yeah. Shelly got dabbed, right? Shelly's yeah. paying us good money. We used to be in camp for like two months with Pinnell Whitaker, the Vanna Holyfield, Galata tour. We was just moving with everybody. You know, right. we we in Houston, we in Virginia, we uh -huh. in Cali, we all over. Mm -hmm. So when I lost in the trials and I went to sign, I came went to Shelly's office. It's on tape. I'm gonna send y'all the tape. It's, uh, somebody did a documentary on me and Zab. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's a twenty-minute documentary. They, they, Teddy Alice is the is the narrator. Uh -huh. It's we a good documentary from Brooke. I'm, huh? We need to see that. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna send it to you when I. So check this out. So I go to Shelly's office and I said, Shelly, you know, I'm ready. You know, ready to turn pro. He said, Hey, Monty, you know, now mind you, uh, me and Beth love you. They call me. You know, you need anything? He embraced yeah. me. I thought he was family. Because yeah. when yeah. you when, when you come from, you know, yeah. when you come from where we come from. Mm -hmm. You know, when people talk like that, you take them as they as they oh, give yeah. it. You know, you take yeah, them yeah, for yeah. their word. Sure and I thought he was, and he was like, Monty, I just want to let you know that I'm not interested in uh, signing you as a pro. I said, what? He said, yeah, I don't think you, I don't think you're hungry enough. I don't think that you are, you know, that you will do good. I was, yeah. I was 25, I was yeah, 25 yeah. when I was about to turn pro. Yeah. I was hurt. Yes. I was a grown man hurt. I wanted to cry in his office because <laughs> he just he just bust my bubbles. I thought yeah, I was yeah, the yeah. shit. And world, here yeah. we got this guy telling me that he don't think I'm made out to be a fighter. That's why when I fought David Tour and when yeah. I fought Dominic Gwynn, I bust their butt because yeah. he represent. You know, they was a part of him. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. But uh, you're yeah. absolutely right. You know, you build these yeah. bonds with these people, yeah. and the only two people that you have real, the only. One person that the fighter has a relationship with is, is the trainer. 
is the train trend. is the only one who cares about them. I have one hundred percent on that. I've, yeah. I've never, I've never, I had an experience to Shelly Finkel myself when I was, um, when I had fought and I suffered my first loss, and I met with him afterwards, and he talked to me personally about, you know, he said, you know, I, I. I if you get out of your situation, I'd like to work with you, this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, thank you very much. I really appreciate you, that, but I got to do this. And I had to you know, continue on my own journey. It was mm-hmm. a journey that I could only do on my own at that point. So um, I came back, you know, it was a few years later, and I had introduced him to my br- younger brother, Takumbo. He was a father, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, Shelly, I, I brought Takumbo to you because I remember when you had spoke to me about, you know, uh, leaving my current situation, and he goes, "I didn't ask you that." Wow! <laughs> have me like that. I was like, that, "That's oh, not just like him." Yes, you know, you be you begin to see how I know individuals see want themselves colored, kind of thing, or or yeah. you know, it's phony. It's all phony. Ability to speak with a forked tongue—it's like it's crazy. It's madness. It's phony, yeah. man. You know, it's, it's so it's so bad because. The fighter, and, and I realized this, and this is true, Ben. Look, when the fighter, the fighter is um leave the game, right? Mm-hmm. The promoter still got a, another other fighters. The manager got other fighters. The networks got other fighters. Yeah. We're the only one, and we don't have any. We don't have any type of um um what's the name? Any type of uh, stability, right? Yeah. So check this out. So um Joe DeGuardi was a he used to be a Bronx DA. Hell of a smart lawyer. Joe was a smart, smart guy. So we signed this crazy contract with America Presents, right? Mm-hmm. And in order for them to get rid of me, they had to give me a quarter of a million dollars. Oh, you go. So, right. So when I lost my fight, and I, I beat Lance Whitaker, but Lance Whitaker was an in-house fighter. One yeah. person, one brother managed him, one guy trained him, and one guy promoted him, yeah. right? So the fight was tight, but I won the fight. And I had just signed with I just signed with Jay-Z's company, Rockaware. Everything yeah. was popping. I'm from New York. Yeah, yeah. Boom. I lost the fight. They had to get they had to, they couldn't kick me to the curb. And just, you know, because when fighters lose the fight, they just kick you to the curb. And yeah. you gotta find money. You gotta find mm-hmm. another promoter. They had to give me 250000 You know what I'm saying? Or yeah. if they didn't give me the 250, they had to give me a million for my next fight. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So they yeah. opt out to give me the 250. But what I'm trying to say is that, you know, it's it, we fighters don't have security. No, you know no. what I'm saying? It's not like we got a, a union behind us. Eddie yeah. Mustafa, myself, and this guy named Walter Johnson, we tried to get with uh, Jimmy Hoffa uh, Jr. and get a, a union, but that didn't work out because the money we raised, no fighters want to invest in it. We only raised yeah. like fifty or 60000 yeah. We had to wind up giving it to, and donate it to another organization because none of, none of the fighters wanted to invest in their future. We've yeah. had similar movements in the UK, you know, trying to get the same thing off the ground, and it never seems to it never seems to come to ultimate fruition for the reasons you just described, you know. Yeah, nobody they're, wanna invest. They just want to invest in what they're doing. They don't want to invest into the sport. Yeah. Well, there's definitely ways to do it, but they can't be done conventionally. They can't be done as the way other sports are because boxing is just so individualistic. It's so different from any other sport. It's like everyone has their own concerns. And whereas like when you're on a team, everyone collectively has that one concern. And and because it's that team and because it's just so overarching the league – you can you can set forms formulas and 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 methodologies in place. You know what I mean? How it should yeah. go and how guys should get paid. But on an individual sport, like like 
boxing is always like the wild, wild west, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yes. Day one, from when it started, from the first caveman who smacked the other guy, mm-hmm. up, to, up to, you know, like last night's fight, Benavidez yeah. and Planet, for instance. You know what I mean? It's like absolute, it's still caveman politics. It's the same old thing, and everyone fighting for what they want, and it's an individualistic thing, like how we I want think- it in America. The editor of Boxing News, Matt Christie, was talking about the Fury Usyk negotiations and the breakdown of those talks, you know. And um, he said that whenever anybody with any semblance of sense criticizes the situation we have in boxing, they're usually told this is the boxing business or boxing is a business. And he said, what kind of business continually flunks its biggest deals like it does today in this era? So there has to be, and when we talk about unions and aftercare and, and, and you know, and, and better education for fighters and better representation, I mm. think that the whole thing, the whole culture needs fixing from the top to the bottom and in the middle, right? If, but it's a question of we don't seem to hit on a, a formula of how we can do that, how we can address that. But let me ask you, only one thing, one, one way, we spoke to a few different people, union people, the only way that we can neutralize boxing in, in its entirety for the fighter to get some compensation for their hard work is to make it like a like a NFL like a like um, a league. That's that, that, that be so much but, better, Monty. That but be but so you better. can't because the promoter, no, none of these promoters are letting go. They fighters. You yeah. hell no. They right because the the promoters the promoters are going to lose the fighters and the network's going to lose. So yeah. right. So it's it's not going to ever happen. Look, so one thing you can do, just on, on that point for a second, I believe, is you have to be willing to start from scratch and create new superstars. Yeah. You can't with come with a massive amount of money. With a massive amount of money. That's a lot of work. That's working backwards. Yeah, and that's just it. It is a lot of work, and it's a lot of Dana White says he's interested in, do, in maybe in coming into boxing and seeing if he can fix Did you know I certified him, Dana White? Yeah. You did what? I certified him in fitness boxing before he oh, went to Las Vegas to go to UFC. He was up oh, in Massachusetts, and oh, I was okay. giving fitness. I was giving like I taught people how to do oh, wow. for fitness, right? So yeah. I was up in. So I'm sorry to take this another way for a second, but I was up there in Massachusetts, and I was teaching them, and I give them a certificate afterwards. There's about 25 teachers in the place, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I said to him, Dana, I remember his name specifically and his name on the on the thing. And he said, I said, so where are you going to go? He goes, I'm going out to Vegas. I'm going to start teaching fitness boxing out there. I'm going to do some gyms. I'm going to like this. I was like, oh, cool. More power to you, brother. Like this, da, 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 a piece of, what was it, 15 years later, 10, 15 years later, he started up this UFC stuff. It was nuts. Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, and plus those fighters don't really get the type of money that we that's what I hear, Monty. That's yeah. what people say. It's better for the fans, the UFC culture, but it's not better for the fighters. So it's only half fixed. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, yeah. because but the good only thing about the the UFC culture is that it's no, it's no, it's no, it's only one promoter. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's not that much. It's not that much conflict besides with the it fighters to the promoter. Well, but fighters could no prom- band together. They could band together and yeah. and and go up against that promoter because they can. You can let the well will run dry without the fighters. Nothing's gonna. And a happen. lot of promoter, a lot of the fighters are already out their contract, but they don't look at their contract because I know because I I was in that situation, and that when I realized that I got out of my contract. Yeah. But I want to say I know I know Ben. I know you're in England. I want to tell you I gotta give you credit. David Hay is one of the most clever fighters outside the ring. Yeah. He's one of the most clever fighters outside the ring. This guy beat me before I even got in the ring. You know why? Because he made my whole life so uncomfortable before the fight. Yeah. And that was a strategic thing because 
the crazy thing, I don't know, I'm skipping to this fight, but yo, this fight, I had to get this guy, I said, I had, this guy's a mastermind. I don't know if he did it intentionally or he had people around him. Whoever did it was very smart. They had me at first class to go to London. I, they put me on business class. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. So me and Jimmy Glenn, we get to London and nobody's there to pick us up, right? Now I'm pissed. Right, yeah. we gotta catch a cab like two hundred and fifty dollars euros <laughs> to go to the hotel, yeah. and we're supposed to be in the Crown Plaza Hotel by by the 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 the, the, the arena. Yeah, yeah. We in a we in a rinky dink Holiday Inn hotel somewhere down in in it was the room was smaller than the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. I said yo, I'm I'm in the room with I'm in the room with um I'm in a hotel with fans. Hey, that's Monty Barrett. These guys, it's a whole bunch of fans. Who's going to the fight? Who sharing the hotel with me? Yeah. Then we didn't. We didn't even have nobody to go to the gym. We had to. We had to find a gym. They supposed to supply a gym for. I was there for for ten days. Yeah. David Hay had me so flustered. By yeah. the time I got to the the press conference, I lost it. I lost yeah. the fight before I even fought. That's why <laughs> when I jumped in the ring, I yeah. bust my ass. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but yeah. I have like fight. almost a million over a million views from me falling in the ring. Are you getting in the ropes. I, I tried to jump over the rope, but you know yeah. when I went to check it oh, in the beginning. Man. But fighting, you know, when you fight, by the time you fight, those ropes are loose. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. when I went to jump over, I bust, and I was frustrated. I bust my ass. It was, it was, it was hilarious. I had to laugh at it. But yeah. I was like, you know, it was. But the whole thing was that this guy was so clever that yeah. he he got he got me so outside bent out of shape that yeah. when I got in the fight, I was so emotional. Mm -hmm. Right, I couldn't even I couldn't even throw a a, a good punch because I was throwing everything trying to kill him. Yeah, yeah. and I had hit him, and I had, I heard him, and I knocked him down, and the referee counted it uh, a slip or or hitting on the break or something like that, yeah. and they gave him so much time to recoup because he was out. But you know, oh. and they was hitting me. You know, and one thing about I didn't like about London is that they they let you hit in the back of the head, and they don't they don't penalize you unless you for American fighter. <laughs> they be like, no, no, no. I'm like, oh my god! I said he been hitting me in the back of the head the whole time. Yeah, you yeah, say yeah. One time, You say one thing. And you so know what? The referees. The, that's why they have to have referees that have fought before. They do not understand what it's like getting punched in the back of the head consistently. Now, even just like remote, every yeah. once in a while, am I consistently? That's mm -hmm. like the most delicate, like yeah, yeah. And it throws your equilibrium off as well. Yeah, yeah. You do get some fighters who fought very high level who don't make great referees. I remember Jersey Joe Walcott in the in the mm -hmm. Ali Lister rematch. Since we we're talking about that recently on Facebook, Silk. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Nigel Collins said Jersey Joe Walcott, great fighter, great guy, lousy referee. But you know what? Yeah. Like when he, when he told Ali to go to the corner and listen to stand yeah. or whatever, they're supposed to listen when you go like this. I guess it, you know what I mean. He thought I just got to tell these guys once, and and they're but gonna do it. We got to think about. We got to think about. Man, this is Ali. I mean, Ali is a legend. Yeah. Now imagine what he was then. He was like God to boxing. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it probably had to be a lot of dealing with. Well, him. To be fair. In 1965, he wasn't quite like God. He was a controversial figure that some people were still unconvinced of. Some people thought mm. the first fight was hooky. It, it's it, mm. He was massively famous, but he wasn't really like a God in 1965. And and also, Monty, they, they were fighting in an ice rink in Maine that night, in Lewis oh, wow. Maine, with a 2,200 crowd. It was one of the lowest crowd attendants, perhaps the lowest World Heavyweight Championship crowd attendance wow. in history. Because nobody wanted to go to the fight. They kicked the fight out of Chicago because of the political smell around it and the listeners' connections. And Ali's, you know, 
that's so crazy. I fought in Maine in a, on the high on the, um, on the ice hockey ring too. I don't know if it's the same one. My 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 second fight. Yeah, <laughs> I want to tell you guys about one of the hardest fights I had I mentally and emotionally. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So two and a half years off, I didn't fight. I was in I was in um uh, I was in a contract dispute with Joe DeGuardia. And uh, 2000, I fought, I think I fought Latterman Klitschko. Then I fought, I think the kid, every, uh, some guy named Davis, I forgot. And then I fight for a while. And then I came back and I fought, um, I signed with Stan Hoffman. Stan Hoffman was one of the best managers in the world. I love him. I call him Poppy. Was, God bless him. Good day. guy. Yeah, I'm a great guy. Great guy. Listen, this man was the epitome of a, of a man. Like, he took care of me. Me and him. I, I was off for two and a half years. You know, I went, I met him in the city. We went to a, a diner. We shook hands. He said, you know, he said, I believe in you. I still think you got your best days in front of you. I said, yeah. He gave me $50,000 check on a handshake yeah. deal. On a handshake deal. Right. This is a mafia stuff, right? He gave me yeah. a $50,000 check. Like, yo, I believe in you. Boom, we started working together. And, you know, I had my best career, made my best money with him. You know what I'm saying? And I asked him. I said, I said, Poppy, I said, why are you so generous and so nice? Because I said, Poppy, I need 10000 He said, oh, just go to the bank and get it. You asked a, a manager, you know, back then, you asked a manager for some money. But man, get, man, listen, man. You know, they just, yeah. and, and he never recouped the money. He never, he never asked for the money when I fought. He never took the money back or nothing. You know wow. what I'm saying? And yeah. when he had, he had got really sick and he had triple bypass surgery, I drove him and his wife wherever they wanted to go. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, even Lou, when, right? Lou. Yeah, yeah, Lou Willis. She's yeah, so the queen, she, yeah, she's the queen beautiful. of Harlem. She's a great guy. Yeah, Rachel has a granddaughter. And then when he he had he had rented some financial trouble, and when I fought, I went back. Our contract was over. I still paid him. Yeah, because that's what people do when you when yes. you find a person that take good care of you, yeah. you. You return the favor. You return a blessing, man. He was a blessing to me. Yeah. I mean, he was a great guy. But I fought this kid named Eric Kirkland. Do anybody I, remember uh, Eric Stone Cold Kirkland? Yo, let me tell you that guy. Let me tell you, that guy was smaller than me, and I had just came. I wasn't fighting for two and a half years, mind you. The first punch he hit me, I wanted to quit. Yeah. The first we fought on the main event, ESPN. When I tell you this, like Layman Brewster told me, that's one of my good friends. He told me I had heavy hands, and yeah. Layman Brewster himself, we don't have big hands, but we have heavy hands. This yeah. guy Eric Kirkland hit me the first, and he was talking so much junk. Like, yeah. oh, Monty Brown, he's, he, he's a has-been. I'm going to wash him, and then I'm going to fight Joe Messi, and I'm going to kick his ass. Uh, so, boom, we get in, we fight on New, in New Mexico on ESPN, the main event. The yeah. first punch he hit me, I was like, I'm not fighting no more. I don't care how <laughs> tough I am in the street. I was looking for somewhere to lay down. Yeah. You hit me? I was every time he hit me, I was looking for somewhere to lay. I was like, I was yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was repeating in my head how I was gonna fall and how I was gonna stay down there and spit my yeah, mouthpiece yeah. out and all that, right? But this guy kept beating me from pole to pole, and I just got pissed. I said, This Negro yeah. won't let me lay down. You know what I did? <laughs> I kicked his ass and knocked him out the toe around, but or the tip round, whatever funny. it was. But this yeah. guy, this guy has some heavy, heavy hands, and that's yeah, how yeah. I got the Joe Messi fight. Because it's a funny thing, all... though. When you ask guys who fought a lot of big stars, you ask them who hit them the hardest, and they often come up with some obscure name that people wouldn't expect, like Eric Kirkland. Yeah, Eric Eric Kirkland, like Eric Kirkland and David Tua are probably the hardest punches I've fought. I mean, yeah. Klitschko, Klitschko and David Hay 
what the second because you know they 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 are extreme fitness guys. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and yeah. I, I went to I even went to I went to Spain with with Klitschko and um, he was knocking all the sparring partners out. So man, you say you know Monty, you you just start working out with him doing the end. I mean, because we I mean he was a strong guy, but. You know, um, Klitschko, he, you know, he, he's, I mean, Emmanuel Stewart, he had the best trains for me, personally, from my experience, Emmanuel Stewart is one of the best trains I've ever seen as far as work. of work, his body of work. He is a, he is a, a, a conduit of, of information. He makes yeah. you, he make your opponent your best friend, but your worst enemy. He put mm -hmm. all the screens up, all of the guys, the same guy, like whoever you're fighting, he put, he has screen, uh, TV here, TV there, TV there. He just have you, he's in your head. He's in your yep. head. He's, he's, he's dissecting the fighter. Look what he's doing, Vladimir. Look at this, Vladimir. Look at that, Vladimir. Even when I, I was in camp with Lennox Lewis. Look, mm -hmm. Lennox, look at this. Look at that. He's looking at all the habits yeah, and he's yeah. feeding this to you and he's having you work on it while you're in the gym. In the what do you think was great? A lot of people, uh, what do you think is great about Klitschko? What do you think is the, maybe you don't think it's great, but what do you think is the most dominant thing about him? Haven't fought him. What do you think what his biggest strengths are? I think one of his biggest strengths that he was scared to lose. Mm -hmm. That he, I think his biggest strength was his, not the, the confidence that he didn't have. But yeah. he built, he built, he built, he built a, a, a protection around him. He's a great guy. You yeah. know, he's very yeah. soft. He's not, he's totally different from Vitaly. Vitaly, you know, he in camp with beers and all that. You yeah. know, he just, he cursed <laughs> you out, whatever, whatever. But I like that. I like he was very, he, he kept his, 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 his vulnerability. He yeah. protected it. Yeah. And I think that he was, he always had to be picture perfect. Yeah. Like so, I think one of his greatest abilities was that I just think that um, he hid a lot of his insecurities. He hid yeah. him well. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw that, and and you can almost see it playing out, right? I saw it in the um in the Klitschko Brewster fight. Mm -hmm. Like it, yeah, it, it, I was there. I was at that fight. Uh, yeah, were you one of their sparring partners, or you you were? No, I, I just I just went to the fight. I just went to the yeah. fight. I was I was out there with Zab hanging out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean that was an incredible fight. I yeah. mean the kind of yeah, the kind Bruce of man. Oh. the kind of the kind of punishment that Bruce had to go through to get to him. Yeah. Well, yeah. it was just like that was epic. And then finally he got to him and woof. But Vladimir is a very sneaky fighter. I mean, he yeah. caught me on a break with a short left yes. hook. You yeah. know, he does and 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 Manny has he does he does really well when it comes to big heavyweights. Yeah. Tall heavyweights like Lynx Lewis, he's a master. I mean, you could tell from Herms. Yeah, he learned, yeah, he teach you how to use your forearms. He yeah. teach you how to use so much yeah. defense and offense. It's it's incredible. Well, he kind of fights afraid, right? Like he yeah, fights, he does. He doesn't. He doesn't, he doesn't. He doesn't really commit. He doesn't fully commit to it. So everything's like hard and sharp, but it's scary, and he locks up. So that's why yeah. it's so hard. Every punch yeah. is heavy. I think to the purists, it looks horrible, but there's no yeah. way you can't say he didn't have an all-time great heavyweight resume. It's impossible to deny that. So of he course, was just—he was just so effective, like you say. Partly it was the physical things, and mm -hmm. um, and you talk about Manuel Stewart. Both both Lennox Lewis and Vladimir Klitschko found their real purple patch with him when he made those adjustments. They'd gotten so far and done pretty mm -hmm. well. Then after Emmanuel, they became pretty much unbeatable. After he taught both him. of them to Emmanuel seemed to teach both of them how to fight, operate with fear. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely, and, and, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you see, and and it's the same thing, like because he almost taught like after after Hearns fought Leonard the first time, and the whole the big cry after that fight was Hearns didn't know how to lock him up, didn't know how to hang on, and that's what hurt him. In in, because if he would have held on in the Leonard fight, he could have won that fight. So so it's almost like that lesson was the was the pervading that was the the one most dominant lesson taken away from that fight, and Emmanuel used that for all his fighters or whenever he fought an opponent that was that was tentative and both Lennox yeah. both Lennox and Vladimir were tentative heavyweights and yeah, they, they were frustrate you sometimes because you look at them and say you're like six foot eight and 250 pounds and you're clutching the guy and you're grabbing right. him and you're, blah, 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 you're laying on him just go ahead throw your punches but you know what I mean they 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 use that to their advantage because obviously every time you're getting hit something's being taken away from you and then this was a good guy. People were talking about his chin and you know, not having great punch resistance, and it'd been proven with his knockout losses and knockdowns he suffered against um uh purity. The, he had the rock purity, I think. Yeah, Samuel Peter. Samuel Peter put him down a bunch of times, but still lost. And the then decision. they got Roth Purity. Remember that guy? Yeah, Roth Purity. That was yeah. his first defeat. Absolutely. Yeah. Um and Klitschko later, when he was a little older and wiser, and he was with with Manny Stewart. He said, I have no interest in testing my chin. It's made of glass. I know that. <laughs> he learned to fight with, with that knowledge, you know, and he'd learned to That's good. That's remove good. that vulnerability by making it impossible to nail him, you know. Um, yeah, I remember watching think... him against this South African kid. Was it Sanders? Corey Sanders. Yeah, Corey, Corey Sanders, Sanders. yeah. I was like, oof, man. Yeah. And Corey Sanders was an incredible. His fight with – didn't he fight Rockman as well? Yeah. Yeah, and, and they went toe to toe. That was an incredible fight, but yeah. um, yeah. So, and Rockman, let me tell you something, Rockman. So when me and Hassan Rockman fought, we was cool. We we had like a little robbery thing, but yeah. you know we we got past that because you know Zab was our connection, and yeah. I even spent time at his house and things like that. The Fourth of July, whatever, whatever. But then uh, I didn't have to fight. I didn't have uh, so James Prince, right? You remember James Prince, right? Yes, of course, yeah. right. Rap so James oh, Prince, right? James Prince had so James Prince signed Hasim Rockman, right? Yeah. So James Prince, he had flew me out to Texas, and he was like, "Yo, I want to sign you because I don't want you to fight Rockman because it's peanut money. I want you to just wait and you fight the winner of Vitali and Rockman because Vitali's coming out of retirement." So. He was like, so I was like, no, I should have went for, I should have, I should have listened to him. He's a very smart guy. And what he said, he said, listen, he said he gave Rockman some money, right? And he said, um, you know, it's a, a what you call it when they, when you give him money and you got to give it back to whatever. So yeah. I'm so used to giving, not, when people give me money, they give it for my advance. talent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's no, it's no advance, right? It was a, no advance. So he said, I'll give you, I think he said like 250, 300,000. He said, I'll give it to you in advance. And he said, you'll give it back to me when you fight. And I was like, and me, I wasn't thinking. I was young. I'm thinking about, but that's, that's the money that I deserve because I never had to return anybody, no advance money. Mm-hmm. So he was like, but you're going to make your first seven-figure payday with me, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was I was the second in a WBC. I was number one in everything else. Yeah. And Vitaly had the WBC. So he was like, Rockman's number one. You number two. Whoever win, you get the fight and you're going to make whatever, whatever. Let's trust me. I was like, all right. So then Trinidad fought in uh, MGM, I guess, against, I forgot who he fought against. Uh, Winky, Winky, right? Yeah. yeah. So, right, right. So I went to his house in Vegas and he was like, yo, what you going to do? And I and I didn't bite on it. And then he had already signed Rockman. So Rock, Don King, 
I was gonna fight Rockman. We, I, I got like 250, 275. It wasn't nothing, right? Yeah. Then Don King said, um, he, 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 he came to me. I thought this was the Illuminati because <laughs> this was Don King came to me. He said, he said, he said, hey, brother. He said, man, you're looking good over there, man. He said, you're going to win that fight. And when you win, listen to me now. Listen to me. I said, I'm listening, Don. What? When you win, we're going we gonna to get Vitaly. And you know what? We're going to bid high, but I'm going to give it low. I'm going to give you like 1.5, but we're going to bid for like two, five, three, three million. You okay with that? I yeah. said, Don, we gonna talk. I don't want to talk about that. We talk about that after the fight. Okay. My, you know how Don talk, right? <laughs> yeah. But then I didn't know that him and Rockman had the same talk. But Rockman say, okay, he agreed to it, right? Yeah. So Carl King signed up, Hasim Rockman, uh, 10 days before my fight, gave him $300,000, mm -hmm. right? Mm. Now he kicked, they, they, they gave James Prince's, you know, took care of James Prince. Now, Rockman already had everything in motion. He knew he was he was jumping ship. Soon as you know, because uh, uh, the, the the promoter have all influence on everything in the whole card, right? Mm -hmm. It was a tight fight, but I won the fight, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened? Soon as Rockman won the fight and his hand was raised, he signed already with Bob Arum. Yeah, and Dick Don King, right? Yeah, but Don King—that's what he get. Sometimes yeah. you know. But you know what I'm saying, like it was. But that's that's what I'm saying. That's that's called karma. And then he yeah. went on to fight James Tony in Atlanta City. But yeah. what I'm trying to say is that right. But it was like it's been some. You know, business is shaky in um in in the boxing world, man. Yeah, yeah, you don't know what side you on. Yep, yep. Sometimes no. it works for you, and sometimes it sometimes it I, works against you. I believe that's a common strategy to bid really super high when they're not really paying the fighters that, but they just don't want the other guys promoted to get it. So yeah, I agree. Monty. Yeah. When did you? Uh, I'm sorry. I know we're getting deep into this, and and it's getting late and everything, and and I just want to get this out because I know we're gonna have to depart pretty soon. Sorry, Ben, we're going over time. But um, when did you feel the greatest about life during your like? What's the most positive time in your fight life that you felt the greatest? Like, it may be in that first time you were discovered, like on TV, you got that knockout, and it was like. Wow, you just felt like you were unstoppable. When was that time in your life? I think I think the time was when I when I had fought Dominique Gwynn. Yeah, I felt unstoppable because he was he was rated to be the next great American heavyweight from a man you stood on HBO. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, you still said this is the next great American heavyweight, Dominic Wynn. He just knocked out that that big African guy. Yeah, yeah. I forgot his name. He said he said he's the next guy. I'm telling you, he, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna oversee everything. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna break this record, that record. And I went his hometown and beat him. Yeah. Uh, or HBO on the coach with uh Jermaine. It was Jermaine Taylor was the main event, I think, right? Yeah. And that was like one of my greatest moments because I trained so hard for that fight. And that, I felt like, you know, he was number two or three. That's why I went up to the ranking so high. Because yeah, I was yeah, like yeah. number, I was in the top 10. I think I was number seven or eight. Yeah, yeah. So when the top two, top 10 guys fight each other, you go up high. Yeah, yeah. So I went to like number one and yeah. number two behind that win. Yes. You know? So that was the, like, that was the, my Teflon moment when I yeah. felt like Teflon Don. And, yeah. and you just felt like the whole world was open for you. Like, like there's nothing that was 
everything was just unimpeded. You were just going to go like life was just so good for you. You can get anything you want. You you could see yourself with the riches and the cars and the houses and the and world. I had it all so already. Just then, just... <laughs> yeah, listen, let me tell you something. I yeah. was doing so great that I was I, I went on the prices right and got selected. When I right after <laughs> for Dominique Gwen, Bob Barker, you know, I went I went I went to the prices right. I got I got called up. And it was crazy. It's 500 people in the yeah. audience. You don't yeah. know who they're going to pick. They yeah. just ask you three questions. What's yeah. your name? Where you're from? And what's your favorite game besides Plinko? That's it. Right? Wow. They call me, Monty Barrett, come on down. You're the no. best contestant on the prices, right? I go down <laughs> there. I get on. I win. I go to the showcase showdown. And I lose, but I got a two-week trip to China. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, nothing. everything was... I came back. I came back to the hood... All the ladies like you gonna take me on that trip with you to China? All <laughs> <laughs> lady trying to get in my pants. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Who did you take? I took my wife at the time, my second wife. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah good, was good investment. Good yeah. investment. Oh man, yo, it's been a blessing speaking to you, Monty. It's like it's so great. Thank you so much. Oh man, I love you guys. I thank you, man. I thank you for being the support to this 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 sport, our sport, boxing. You know, and I got yeah. so many great things going on. The most important thing yeah. I got going on is I have all my faculties, at least half of them, yes. and I can still yeah. speak after <laughs> all these hard fights I've been through. Right, yeah, so yeah, I'm happy right. about that. And then yeah. I, I got I just released a children's book. It's on Amazon, Target, Walmart, yeah. Books and Millions. Yeah. Called. Uh, Mr. Story, M-I-S-T-E-R Story. It's about, What's that about? It's about a young kid. It's about a young kid who's going through life trying to figure out what's next and he's helping everybody and sometimes he feels lonely. So it's about me as a little kid and mm -hmm. how I was trying to navigate through life and figure things out. But at the end, I always figured it out because God was always with me. Yeah, and and Mr. Story that's available on Amazon or is there yeah, Amazon, Target, uh, Walmart, books, books a million. It's on all platforms, Barnes and Noble. Beautiful. Yeah, and so, it's for adults know. too, right? Like I can yes. read it. Yes. Well, we got we got a we got a uh, it's twelve series, and also I'm working on right now my um I'm working on a documentary for my myself with a yeah. couple of different producers I'm talking to. So it's a lot of good things going on. And I just uh, bought a building in South Carolina, uh, St. George, South Carolina, 6,400 square feet what? with a parking lot to, to build out the gym and uh, also classrooms. I'm starting an after school program and it's, yeah. it's to help the kids and get, get them off the street. Put down the guns, pick up yeah. the gloves and get back in the yeah. class. Wow. You're really it's called House that. of Champions. It's, it's myself and Zab Judah, we have a nonprofit Called yeah. House of Champions, you know, uh, yeah. the the website is House of Champions, uh, okay. dot com, you know, right. and uh, the email is a uh, House of, House of Champion House yeah. Houses of Champions, okay. um, info at, okay. at um, let me, let me make sure I got it right. Okay. <laughs> um, info info at Houses of Champions dot com. Okay. Info at Houses of Champions dot com. Yeah. Yep. That sounds beautiful, man. And you know what? We got to get Zab on here too because both of you are two positive brothers. Like people don't understand. Like they look at fighters and they see them on TV and they see a certain way about them, but you meet them in person. It's an absolute different beast. I mean, you were in fight mode, right? You're in fight yeah. mode. You're just something else. You're not 
what people are seeing. But then when they see individuals like you know, you're sitting here and you're so uh, you know you're eloquent with your conversation and 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 you know what I mean and 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 that's and warm and inviting and I really appreciate that about you. Well, Mike, Zab's getting inducted into the to the New York Boxing Hall of Fame on April 30th, and guess yes. who's bringing them in? No, so we no, might, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a party. So and after yeah. that, he he uh, rented out the next door, of mm-hmm. uh, the ballroom. So mm-hmm. he's gonna have an after party. Okay, it's gonna, it's gonna be crazy. I'm there, man. I'm there. Yeah, April thirtieth is gonna be it's gonna be it's crazy. Okay, I'm in. <laughs> Sweet. Well, Monty, it's been yeah. fantastic to get to know you uh, over this last Thank hour and a quarter. Um, and I gotta say, Silk, you are smashing it with these guests lately. Every time. You get someone on Virgil Hill, Danny Romero. I think that was the best. Then we get the new guy, and, it, and the bar gets raised. And I think this show was the best. No matter who we have on, you know it's the best podcast in the world of boxing. And you can tune in next week when I'm sure he's going to come up with some other fantastic individual this week. Monty Barrett, thank you so much. Thanks, <laughs> thank you, brother. Get involved. Thanks, Monty. Thanks, Appreciate you, brother. All right, brother. Yeah, take care. Sports Social Podcast Network.